Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is the early morning hours of June 6, 1944. You are somewhere over the English Channel. A great explosion erupts right outside your window, violently shaking you in your seat. You can see the tracer rounds flying within mere feet of you. The pilot tries desperately to navigate, avoiding the flak bursts all around the plane. Finally, the green light, and you are out. You feel the prop blast, and there goes all of your equipment. Your parachute deploys, and you float helplessly. Bullets whiz by, and explosions light up the night sky. Toward the ground, all is dark, except the eerie glow of light spitting forth from the remnants of crashed C-47s. Suddenly, your feet hit the ground, the pain a cruel reminder that what you are experiencing is not a dream. You look around. You have missed your drop zone. You have no idea where you are, lost and alone in enemy territory. Your heart sinks as you realize your wretched condition. Can you feel the tension? The fear and seeming helplessness in the midst of overwhelming circumstances? This was a description of D-Day, the Allied invasion of Normandy in World War II. But did you hear the same sense of fear, desperation, and tension in our epistle reading this morning? Listen again, starting at verse 15. For I do not understand my actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Did you hear it that time? It is almost as if you can see Paul frantically walking back and forth, hitting himself on the head, saying, why do I keep doing this? Does that sound familiar to you at all? Paul is describing a tension that I think we are probably all familiar with. I can certainly confess that I am. As believers, we know the law. Many of us have been coming to church since we were very young. We know our Sunday school lessons. We can recite our catechism. But despite our knowledge and best efforts, we still sin, don't we? Have you ever found yourself with your phone in hand, that little nugget of gossip you are just dying to share? You know that it's not the right thing to do as you enter the text message, but before you know it, you have hit send, and there's no taking it back. Or do you ever find yourself in the midst of a heated conversation you have entrenched yourself in your position with no intention of hearing anything the other person has to say. No matter what other sides of the story may emerge or what other information may present itself, there is no changing your mind. Perhaps it is something deeper and darker, something you have tried to bury deep within your own heart. If we are honest, I think we can all relate to Paul when he writes in verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, 
But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. The unfortunate reality, brothers and sisters, is that we are all sinners. And I have lost my place. <laughs> we too must join the psalmist and confess that I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. That is our condition. That is the context in which Paul, in his epistle, is experiencing the full conviction of the law. Now, one of those soldiers who parachuted in to Normandy on D-Day was Albert Blythe, a private in Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, 101st Airborne Division, a division made famous in part by the book and HBO series Band of Brothers. As I read Paul's words in our epistle, it reminds me of Private Blythe, or how his character was portrayed in the HBO miniseries. When we first meet Blythe after his jump, he is lost and alone. He finally reconnects with Easy Company, but he appears to be shell-shocked and traumatized. When they first show him facing combat in the Battle of Carantan, he freezes, gripped by fear. He knows what to do. We can safely assume that he wants to do it, but he is simply unable. I see a lot of similarities between Blythe and Band of Brothers and Paul in our epistle. You see, Blythe was selected into an elite paratrooper division. He qualified as a parachutist, survived and excelled in his training when many other soldiers had washed out. If anyone should have been able to make it in Normandy, it was Blythe. Likewise, Paul says of himself, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If Paul who claimed in his letter to the Philippians that as to righteousness, he was blameless. If even Paul cannot do good, what hope is there for us? The truth is, it is that very tension that Paul describes that gives us hope. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. The very existence of the tension, the war waging between the law of sin and what Paul calls the law of my mind, gives us hope. Now, admittedly, Paul's language can be a little confusing here, but I think that Luther paraphrases it quite nicely when he writes, the law of the mind says, hope, trust, doubt not, fear not, God lives, he reigns, the angels are watching over you. But I hear a different law in my members, which says, all is lost. Your cause is spoiled. You are ruined. This is the law of the members. The flesh is unbelieving, insists on despairing, and cannot believe and promise itself that it will be freed from trouble. The tension that you feel because of your sin while troubling 
is only present because there is something inside of you to battle the sin that also dwells within you. That is your faith, the free gift of God in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luther elaborates on this when he writes, But the people who are without faith, the devil leads in such a way that he lets them go on their sinful ways and pursue them without offering any opposition whatsoever. But believers have temptations at all times. They must forever be battling. Those who are without faith and the Spirit do not feel this, or if they do, they follow through, break away, and pursue their wicked lusts. This all seems true enough, doesn't it? The sinner often seems to be less burdened with guilt, shame, and temptation than we Christians. And it is here where Luther pivots to some hard truths for us. We continue, But as soon as the spirit and faith enter man's heart, he became so weak that he thinks he cannot beat down the least thoughts and sparks of temptations, and sees nothing but sin in himself from the crown of the head down to the foot. For before he believed, he walked according to his own lusts. But now that the Spirit has come and would purify him, conflict arises. Then the devil, the flesh, and, a world, and the world oppose the faith. End quote. We think that when faith comes, it brings safety, and it does. You are all covered in the, by the blood of the Lamb, Christ Jesus. Your salvation is safe in the hands of your Lord. As Paul described earlier in his letter to the Romans, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You are baptized. You do walk in newness of life. But your faith also places a target on your back, one that the devil and the world are sure to take aim at. As Joel Bierman says, the new man is here, but he is not alone. He is never alone. He is always there, overshadowed by the old man. We live in this tension as Christians. We are simultaneously sinners and saints until the resurrection. While we live, we live in this tension. You are a sinner condemned by the law, and you are a saint, a beloved child of God. When we next see Private Blythe and Band of Brothers, the Battle of Carenton is won, and he is huddled by himself in the corner of an aid station. He is blind. Hysterical blindness, the medic tells his commanding officer, the illustrious Captain Winters. Captain Winters then walks over to Blythe. He lowers himself to be beside Blythe on the floor. He reaches out his hand and offers Blythe some comforting words. Then, as by a miracle, Blythe can see. Like Paul, the blinders have fallen from his eyes, and Blythe returns to action. Now, lest we think that Blythe is perfected, we soon see him back in a firefight, huddled in his foxhole, screaming and cowering in fear. Then, just like before, Captain Winters appears, lowers himself down to Blythe, and reaches out his hand. The 
portrayal of Blythe in Band of Brothers, as written by the producers of the HBO miniseries, is of a wretched man. You can almost imagine him in the foxhole crying out, Who will deliver me from this body of death? But if you look hard enough, the wretch that you see in that foxhole is actually yourself. This is what Paul sees of himself. Wretched man that I am, he exclaims, who will deliver me from this body of death? And do you remember what Paul says next? The very next words that flow forth from his pen, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus lowers himself to us. He did this for Paul on the road to Damascus. And as Captain Winters did for Blythe, Jesus does so much more for you and for me. Jesus humbled himself to be born a man. Jesus takes on human flesh. He experiences temptation. He suffers pain. He takes on my sin. And he takes on your sin. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. First Peter. There is a war raging within us. There is a war raging all around us. There is your sinful self and there is your redeemed self. There is God's good and perfect will and there is our sinful and corrupted world. And there is no way that you or I can win this war. Paul, in all his knowledge of the law and obedience to God's calling, even Paul was a wretched man. He could not win that war either. And if any man could, it would have been Paul. But sin does not let go. And so you and I will never win the war. But take heart, the war has already been won. For sure, we remain in the midst of the war, but the war is won. The final outcome accomplished. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, exclaims Jesus. You are saved. You are redeemed. The war was won on the cross. Christ's victory celebrated in the empty tomb. On Easter morning, the war is won for you by the blood of the Lamb. And you are incorporated into Christ's victory in the waters of your baptism where Christ grabs a hold of you and pulls you out of death and into newness of life. And when you once again find yourself in sin's foxhole, when the sin you hate to do you keep doing and the good that you wish to do you aren't able to do, when the tension of being a sinner and a saint overwhelms, there is Jesus, lowering himself to you, reaching out his hand, inviting you to himself, saying, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding 
Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.